and many world championships and many Olympic goals does Paul O'Donnell need to win to be the greatest sports person of all time in Ireland is there a number can we pick a number because he's going to do it OTB AM live weekday mornings from 7.30 on the OTB sports app OTB AM with Gillette get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar it is 17 minutes past nine this morning. I'm delighted to say we're joined by authors Jim White and Phil McNulty. Their new book, Red on Red, is out and it chronicles the uh, most recent portion, the last 50 years or so, of the fiercest rivalry in world football, Manchester United against Liverpool. Gentlemen, you're both very welcome. It's a, a good week to have you on, considering what's coming our way on, um, on Monday night. Um, Jim, I, I might start with you. It's very difficult to... to um, get a rivalry like this down on paper but you guys have managed it by taking specific incidents over the years and building up this collective picture of why it matters so much uh, how difficult was it for you to pick which of the incidents and the games and the, the, the moments um, to actually make sure that you, you captured it properly it's interesting the, the, the rivalry is one that in a way has not been around forever it's strange i mean we talk about manchester and liverpool and people talk about the the ship canal and all these kind of historical incidents but actually back in the 60s manchester united and liverpool respected each other very highly they had two managers who were great friends in bill uh, shankley and matt busby and we discovered during our research that it really started to boil up in the 70s and so we were looking at points in it one of the most fascinating things is these are the two most decorated clubs in english football they've won more than anyone else i'm sorry manchester city they just have they've won a lot more than anybody else and the interesting thing is they've very very rarely been in opposition at the same time very rarely had grand set-piece occasions they've met in two fa cup finals two league cup finals and they met once uh, in Europe. So we were looking at the points where there were these big grand coming togethers and what made them really difficult, tense, interesting occasions is because they were so rare. And so we start uh, in 1977, the 1977 FA Cup final, when United pricked the balloon of the Liverpool treble. And uh, United fans have been living off it ever since, and Liverpool fans have been bitter about it ever since. And, and so the great intensity of the rivalry was born. Um, Phil, uh, I don't know, is it an unfair question to ask, are either of you two supporters of either of these two clubs? Is that something that you, are, you will keep with you as a closely guarded <laughs> secret all the way to your graves? I, as I work for the BBC, I have to be strictly <laughs> neutral. Yeah, uh, all yeah, I can say so, is yeah. I, was born, I was born in Liverpool. I am very well versed in the rivalry, uh, having experienced it cl- at close quarters and also reporting for the Liverpool Daily Post and the Liverpool Echo before I moved to the BBC. Uh, Jim is less impartial and he will happily tell you who he supports. Go on, Jim. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm Manchester United fan of very long time. I'm not going to tell you how old I am, though. You could probably get a guess by the... um... By, by the visuals on this but uh, no I've been supporting them for over well I've been going to games for over 50 years um, one of the, the, the great kind of uh, pieces that Liverpool or sorry Manchester United fans like to throw into the mix and I see you've done it in the book as well Jim is you know the, the origins of You'll Never Walk Alone like is it really a Liverpool song at all as, as a Manchester United fan I know you brought that argument to the table <coughs> I did indeed. 1959, I think it was the New Mills Operatic Society, uh, were rehearsing Carousel, which includes 
you'll never walk alone. Just after the um, Munich air crash, they went to Old Trafford and they started singing it in the Stratford End and everyone picked up on it. That's the story. I wasn't there. Could you see me, could you see Sorry, me smiling there? Because I'm, I'm convinced that's a version of would I lie to you uh, with Jim <laughs> trying to convince people that that's actually true. <laughs> I presume it's just nonsense to play uh, Liverpool fans as a fiddle. Well, Liverpool fans claim. Liverpool fans claim. Jim, if we can get him off this subject just for a second, um, he's now convinced himself that this story is true, and obviously he is now on the hunt to find a Liverpool fan who will actually believe him. That's the problem. How did you? Uh, but it's ve- it's very convincing. He, he sort of almost convinced me it's true. How did you guys find an editor to uh, make sure that um, <laughs> some some form of of your own individual truths wasn't the only truth recorded in this book, lads? It seems like um, I can imagine your your, your meetings were pretty uh, pretty intense sometimes. They were very very cordial. We've been friends for a long time. We're, we're neighbours in Oxford. So we're, we're, we're more than the book, we're, we're friends. And funnily enough, um, I think in all the course of doing it, for all the sort of questions that we might have posed to each other about, you know, stories, anecdotes, you know, facts, stuff like that, uh, I don't think we had a single crossword in all the time we were doing it. It was a really enjoyable project. And what we found uh, particularly was the number of people who, once we mentioned it to them, couldn't wait to speak to us about it. We've spoken to over 50 people, I think, the course of our research and um you know we spoke to people from way back like ron atkinson and martin buck and lou mccary and the more modern if you like protagonists like jamie carragher and gary neville and gary neville uh, responded instantly to our request to do it and he gave us 45 minutes um on zoom from his office in manchester because he had a meeting with the pfa and at 10 15 or whatever that time was he said look i'm sorry i'm gonna have to go because uh, you know my time is up he said, but I've got so much more to say on this subject. Can I book another 45 minutes with you? Um, and we found lots of people like that. It, 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 it's a rivalry of such intensity and emotion that people who were involved in it couldn't wait to talk to us about it. Um, it, was, it, was, it was very good for us, obviously, to get all these people who were so willing to sort of dig back in the memory bank, give their thoughts on all the various aspects we we explored like the musicians and politicians and even people who were involved in fashion and culture. Um, it was a subject that, you know, it, once we got going, we realised we were onto something because so many people who were involved in it were really keen to, to revive their memories and give their reflections on what the rivalry meant to them and to the supporters. Yeah, Jimmy, you make the really interesting point that the two, the two teams haven't been both dynastic at the same time, that there's kind of been a, a cycle where one is completely dominant over the other and... Uh, obviously, that seems to have switched back just right now at the moment. And yet, at the same time, the intensity of the fixture every season has been only heightened by the fact that there's probably been a significant difference between who who were the, the most successful team. Like, I know they both have local rivals. I know that the Merseyside Derby and the Manchester Derby are massive fixtures, but they're not as big as Liverpool and Man United, which is kind of weird in world football in, in some respects. Um why, why? Why do they hate each other so much? What? What was the, like? What? What is the enduring hatred between the teams? It's a really fascinating one. This I think this is. Phil said that there was no point of argument, but I think there is a slight argument here between the two of us. In that, what I find fascinating is that in Manchester, people of every class, every walk of life—you know, a high court judge or a bus driver—the last 
area in which they can be publicly disparaging about another group of people is about Scousers. So they will say immediately, oh, you can't trust a Scouser. You'll have your hubcaps nicked if you park your car over there. They're all thieving, etc. And um, it, it, it's like this is the last place they're allowed to be rude about publicly. And that's driven by the football, because actually these two towns are incredibly similar in their working class backgrounds, in the fact they've got a lot of Irish immigration. <clears throat> they're very, very similar. And yet there's this kind of lingering disparagement. Now, Phil claims uh, that it's all sweetness and light in Liverpool. And actually, they're really nice towards Mankinans. And he's never sneered about a mank in his life. But the other direction, definitely. Um, and and the, the odd thing is, people talk about other rivalries, Rangers-Celtic, for instance. That's driven by religion. Barcelona-Real Madrid, that's driven by politics. This is driven by neither. This is driven by football. Football sets the agenda between these two cities. And yet it spreads wider into a wider loathing or you know, I, I suppose um, loathing may be too wide. Of, uh, well, no, when the football comes in, it is loathing. Like, and, and that's kind of one of the, the key points of the book. And also it's like really interesting to just kind of read both of your perspectives on, you know, the, the attitude of Mancunians towards people from Liverpool. I guess kind of like the, the sneery nature that maybe Liverpool people would, would say anyway, that maybe Mancunians would have had towards them down through the years. And what I'm interested in then is when we kind of transport that to modern football, Phil, how the modern fan who may live nowhere near the north of England actually manages to put their whole sense of loyalty into that rivalry despite having little to no idea of what it's actually like on the ground because it seems that what's happening on the ground is the most important ingredient to this rivalry. Yeah, as Jim said, it's driven by the football and I think one of the things we, we when we were looking at the more modern aspects of it, obviously one of the things you think about now is the rivalry between Liverpool and Manchester City. Now that is very much an on-the-field rivalry um, but it doesn't spread out in the same way that the Manchester United-Liverpool rivalry does. There's no real sense of history outside what happens on the football field. We spoke to lots of people, Manchester United and Liverpool fans, and they were saying that yeah, while Manchester City and Liverpool have had these titanic title battles that have gone down to the last day of the season, the rivalry is just simply not on the same scale as Liverpool and Manchester United. That's still the big rivalry. And as a, a guy we spoke to, Robbie O'Neill, an actor from Liverpool, said, if Liverpool and Manchester United had had some of the title battles that Liverpool and Manchester City have had in the last few seasons, where it's gone down to the last day of the season, where even 20 minutes from the end of this season, you're thinking Liverpool are going to win the title and Manchester City won it. He said they'd make films about it. He said it would be a documentary series. It's a, it still doesn't quite capture the emotions the way the Liverpool-Manchester uh, Liverpool United rivalry does. As lots of people said to us, and they all seem to use the same phrase, you can't invent a rivalry. And at this moment in time, maybe the younger generation will pick up on it. Liverpool-Manchester United is a huge rivalry. Liverpool-Manchester City and Manchester City-Liverpool is an on-the-pitch rivalry, which doesn't extend too far beyond that. Liverpool-Manchester United rivalry is so much more, and I think will continue to be so much more for a very long time still, even though Manchester United are now very much in reduced circumstances compared to Liverpool and Manchester City. I think the international element of it is really interesting. I mean, it's big in Ireland. I know that. I mean, I, I once went to Addis Ababa and they had 
these grand stands set up in a, a square in the middle of the city with a big screen. And I said, what's that for? And they said, oh, it's Liverpool Man United at the, at the weekend. And they always show it. And I said, oh, right, does that get put up for the Champions League final or Madrid against Barcelona? No, no, it's only Liverpool against Manchester United. There are gangs of Liverpool and Manchester United fans within uh, Addis Ababa. And we saw that uh, earlier this in the pre-season when they were touring Thailand. It was like the Beatles arriving in, in uh, the airport there at Bangkok. You know, the, the huge support. And I think it comes down to the glamour of both clubs. It comes down to their preeminence and their prominence. And so you can achieve identity by being a Liverpool supporter in Bangkok. And of course, the ones who... <clears throat> have a real genuine proper challenge against you and your legitimacy and your prominence are Manchester United. So I think that identity of uh, forming an identity with those two clubs is a really powerful thing. And I know it's big in Ireland. I mean, uh, huge numbers come over to Anfield for matches every weekend and the same to Old Trafford from Dublin and Belfast. Yeah, well, they were they were our clubs where the best of our players always aspired to play, and whenever we had great teams, they were backbone by players at Man United and Liverpool. And um, yeah, I mean, it is a fascinating. We could actually do a couple of hours on this. Uh, who's going to win on Monday night, um, Phil? I would say um, Liverpool will win. Although I've, Liverpool have made a fairly unconvincing start to the season, uh, but I just think unless Manchester United raise themselves from what we've seen so far this season I think Liverpool will win I'm not suggesting they will win on the scale of 5-0 as they did last season um, but you look at Manchester United and one of the interesting things we found was that even when one was down when they played each other the one that was down raised themselves yeah. and could get the big victory last season I think a big problem for Manchester United fans and what hurt them was that those two games against Liverpool last season were embarrassing humiliating walkovers has this Manchester United team got what it takes to raise themselves and beat Liverpool next week? I would question that. We will I don't think see. Liverpool are anywhere near their best yet. They've got Nunez will be suspended. Liverpool have got injury problems, but I still think with people like 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 Salah and Diaz. Um, they will have too much for Manchester United's defence based on what we've seen this season. All right, folks, we've got to go. We wish you the very best of success with the book. It's called Red on Red. My thanks to Jim White and Phil McNulty for joining us to uh, you know, thanks, set, set the tone ahead of um, a weekend of build-up to the game on Monday night. OTB AM With Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar.